All right, good evening. It feels a lot better in here than it has the last month or so, so thanks for being in here and sweating through that fun, fun time together. Um, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian. I'm a, a pastor here at, uh, at Hope, and um, as Tim was saying, we're, we're in the 27th uh, week, actually, of uh, Exodus. And so chapter 24, things are going to uh, pick up from here on out as far as we were kind of just doing little chunk, little chunk, little chunk. Now we're kind of doing chapter after chapter, and we're going to see uh, some kind of a change, at least tonight, in the narrative, and then, and then it's going to go back to law as we're going to look at. So uh, I do want to invite the men again. Uh, I know Chaz just said this, but on Thursday at uh, Phelan Regional Park, we'll just grill out. Last time it got canceled because of the weather, and, and so um, hopefully that, w- that won't happen again. So anyways, uh, I am entering into my fifth year uh, at Hope Community Church, which is kind of hard for me to believe. Um, and, and what's harder for me to believe, uh, it sounds bad, I, I love this church. Right? That, that's what's weird to me. Uh, I bounced around a lot growing up, and, and, and there's actually been studies that have gone out that within the first year of a church being started or somebody visiting a church, they love it, right? Church pride, this is the best church Every other church is stupid compared to my church. Not quite, but, you know, they kind of have that mentality. And then at year five, things kind of start to wane a little bit, right? Like, I mean, eh, okay, it's just church. I'm just doing my thing. And then by year 10, if they make it that long, they're kind of looking for other churches. And, and so here I am going into year five, and I love this church. I do. I love the staff. I love the pastoral team that I get to work alongside with and, and uh, just crush, crush our brains together. doesn't make any sense, but... Um, to uh, brainstorm, that's the word I'm looking for, uh, together. And, and even this week, having a chance to just talk with Pastor Cor, uh, he spoke this passage downtown this week, and he was like, what are you doing? I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know. And so we were texting each other back and forth all week saying, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. So I don't know what he did with this, but I know what I did, and uh, that's, that's where we're going. Um, anyways, do you have an outline there with you? If not, it's on the website as well, and then um, slides will be on there if you want to look at that. And uh, all the, all the uh, uh, scripture will be on the screen, so if you don't have a Bible with you, that's, that's okay. And there's going to be a lot of scripture. Last week, if you were here, I apologize, there was a lot of words, a lot of words being said, a lot of, a lot of things being read from commentaries and all this stuff, uh, but... I think it was important for us to know what these laws mean, especially just in context for us today. Do we need to apply these laws? And if you have questions about that, feel free to go back online and listen to that. Um, so anyways, that's that. Um, have you ever, ever been in a situation where, where you weren't wanted? All right? And I don't mean like you weren't wanted because like, I don't know. Because for, for good reasons, okay? So, like, yeah, he's just kind of different. I don't want to hang out with him. I don't mean that. I mean, like, were you not wanted uh, for, for reasons that just were not legitimate, all right? So, so you, you couldn't go into a certain place. Uh, for example, uh, going into, like, a, uh, a Jewish temple, I can't go in if I don't have a, a yarmulke, all right? That's, that's something that, all right, if I don't have this on, that's an easy fix. You just throw one on, and they let you in, no problem. All right, but so there's other, other times, it might be more serious, sometimes kind of silly and kind of fun and sometimes kind of sad, maybe. Um, for me, I, I was reminded of when I was in elementary, um, I've been the same height, 6'2", since I was in sixth grade, which had its benefits, right, back in the day. You know, I was a lot bigger than all my peers, and so I would just destroy them in basketball, destroy them in football. It was quite fun. Um, my brother-in-law, who was in fifth grade when I was in sixth grade, we would stay after school and play basketball, and it was just my mission to not let him ever score, right? It was just, and it, and it, was, it was possible, right? He just was so much smaller than me. 
Um, but that had some drawbacks as well. Uh, I had some surgeries because of it, lung surgeries later on because I grew too fast and all that fun stuff. But uh, for most of my life, it's been good. But at that time period, there was actually a time where we, would, went, we went trick-or-treating. And, uh, and we went out and, you know, had our, had our bags. And, and I don't remember what I was dressed up as, but I'm with all my friends who are all my age. Even some of them were older than me, but they were all really little, right? They were normal people, and, and I was not normal. And I would go to these houses, and people would be like, mm, aren't you too old to be trick-or-treating? And it was just like, oh, that's sad. Like, no, I'm not, actually. So I'm just a kid in a large body. I'm sorry, I can't do anything about that. And then I'd get sensitive, and I couldn't help it, right? I know that might be silly, but there are other, other times where we get excluded. And we're going to see that from the passage today, that people are excluded simply based on their ethnicity, all right? And then we're going to see how that changes, all right, so simply based on the way they look and even their gender, they're told they cannot enter. So recap briefly from last week. We, chap- we tried our best. I didn't even read, couldn't even read all the chapters, but it was uh, chapter 21 through 23 and just goes through. These are the laws that are set before you. And so God is going to go and deliver all these laws. It's right after what we call the, what you've maybe heard the Ten Commandments that are called the Ten Words. He gives his people kind of like a, a covenant as far as a, a nation, a constitution, if you will. This is if you're going to be an Israelite, if you're going to worship me, this is the laws you live by. And then he gives them the individual laws of, that would fulfill that. So we looked at that last week. And so this week, though, it, there's, it's, it's this interesting little break, if, if you will, from, all, from this law, 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 we get a little bit more narrative here for one chapter, and then the rest of the book's going to be law. It's going to be describing things and explaining some things a little bit, and, but in very, uh, very intricate detail. And so, um, anyways, so what is it about this week that kind of makes it different? And so I want to look at this narrative, and I'm just going to kind of read through it, comment on it a little bit, and then we're going to do a lot of scripture tonight. I'm only reading one commentary, right? Just, not just one quote from a commentary, okay? You're welcome. Uh, it's going to be nice and easy tonight. Um, we're just going to let the Bible do its thing and preach, preach the word. So starting in Exodus chapter 24, and if I, I've got a, I don't know why, but my eye has been twitching, so I'm going to do my best to read as, as smoothly as I can, but um, if I stutter more than I normally do, I'll blame it on my Ah, I keep switching. Um, that's a Shrek thing, right? Wasn't that a Shrek donkey? Anyways. All right. Exodus 24. And then Yahweh said to Moses, Come up to Yahweh, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, um, and 70 of the elders of Israel. Nadab and Abihu are going to be Aaron's sons. We're going to learn more about them, not in Exodus, but, but later on. Uh, they would have been part of the priesthood. And 70 of the elders of Israel. Um, who are these elders? There's some speculation on this. This could have been, if you remember back, I think it was chapter 12 or maybe even a little bit later than that, when Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, says, Moses, you're doing too much. Split everybody up. Put people in charge of the thousands and the hundreds and the fifties and the tens. And so there's speculation. This could be those individuals that would have been the, the elders, the leaders of the group. Um, or it could just be the uh, inauguration of the priesthood, which is going to be happening here pretty soon. So it could have kind of been the first uh, priest that would have been uh, with them. But either way, they go up the mountain with Moses, all right? Uh, and you are to worship at a distance, all right? So, so you individuals, you priests, you elders, whatever it may be, you can't actually come all the way up the mountain, all right? So you've got the Israelites, the base of the mountain, right? Hey, you can't come any further, uh, because you're not like them, and they can come up here, but you can't come all the way to the top because you're not 
Moses. Um, and as I was doing this, it, it reminded me of a time when um, uh, I went to a, a conservative school, which most of you know that, uh, but we had these, these things, and this is going to sound really weird, but it wasn't to me, it was just life, okay? So um, we had these, in every room, there was a prayer captain or a, an assistant prayer captain, okay? And so I was an assistant prayer, I was the assistant to the assistant prayer, no, I'm kidding, I was the assistant prayer captain, all right? And what that meant was every night at dorm lock, you know, at 10 o'clock, when we all had to be in, in our dorms and the lights off, uh, we would just pray together as, as a room, okay? And I know it sounds really, really bizarre. That was my freshman year. Well, I left my freshman year, and I switched majors. I was a Bible major, and I switched to uh, uh, rhetoric and public address. Um, and, and so I switched that, but I didn't know, or at least I couldn't remember as an 18-year-old, that I had signed up for a class that was a Bible class that I was required to take over the summer that had to do with my major. Well, I switched my majors and no longer needed to take that class, so I didn't think about it. And um, I get a letter in the mail, I still use the mail back then, from my professor saying, uh, you, you failed the class, right? And I was like, whoa, I didn't even know I was in this class, all these different things, it was pretty bad. And um, eventually they, they removed it, but, but not without first sending me a letter telling me that, that I was no longer allowed to be an assistant prayer captain because I didn't take my spiritual life uh, seriously enough because I failed the Bible class, right? So I wasn't allowed to be a, an assistant prayer captain, right? I told you, you can't do this. You don't love Jesus enough. Failed a Bible class. It was like, well, I didn't even know about the Bible class, right? Kind of felt like these guys, right? Like, hey, you can't, you're not good enough. Not good enough. Only Moses is good enough, all right? And Moses went up and told the people all of Yahweh's words and laws. So the words are in the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, and then the laws that we looked at last week. They responded with one voice. Everything Yahweh has said, we will do. And Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel the 12 sons of Jacob. Then he sent uh, young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrifices, young bulls and fellowship offering offerings to Yahweh. All right, now this is really cool because they had just learned actually how to worship Yahweh in the last three chapters. God sets up. He says, if you want to worship me, this is how you are to, to do this and, and sacrifice in this way and, and conduct it this way and, and have this ceremony. And so they, they do that. They respond in worship and following God's commands. Verse 6, Moses took half of the blood and put it in, in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. So he's done this multiple times now. He's read these laws over and over to them. And they responded, we will do everything Yahweh has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the, co of the covenant that Yahweh has made with you in accordance with all of these words. There's a blood sacrifice. Blood is, sh is shed, and God then takes, Moses takes that blood, sprinkles it all over the people to represent the blood being shed and God keeping his word with them. Should remind us of the Passover, when the lamb was killed and the blood covers the doors and God passes over them, right? He, he makes a promise with them that he won't uh, take their firstborn son's life. And he's doing the same thing now, but he's making a covenant with all of his people uh, that are present. Verse 9, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw God of Israel. 
Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapses and laziol. I don't, it's some blue, uh, bright blue as the sky. So some kind of pavement, cement uh, that was blue that God was sitting on. Uh, but God did not raise his hand against the leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank, which I think is a really cool picture of what it's going to happen in the future, but we're not, we're going to get there in a, in a little bit. All right. But what happens? These elders come and they are able to see God. They're communing with him. They're eating and drinking with the creator of the universe, which is crazy because a couple weeks ago, Moses said, you can't come to this mountain. If anybody even touches this mountain, then it'd be stoned or shot with arrows because God is holy. And now here they are. And it says, God did not raise his hand against these leaders. Verse 12, and Yahweh said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. And then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur, uh, H-U-R, it's a name, Aaron and Hur, uh, are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them, which I think is like, hey, 70 elders, those are, you know, leaders who oversee all of you. You're going to b- fight and bicker, so I'm going to put some people in charge just in case that happens, right? And so that's what he does. All right, here's a, here's a quote here that I want to read about what, what did we just see. What did they see? What was going on on top of the mountain? Um, this is what one, one uh, commentary says. What did the 70... Um, four humans actually see when they saw the God of Israel. They saw some sort of general shape that he allowed them to see vaguely, but they could not, they could see clearly and with true definition only one thing. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, that is uh, the sky itself. Uh, something like pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for, uh, uh, very heaven for cleanliness. All right, this is consistent with other visions of God in which viewers do not really see him, all right, but see something that lets them know that they are dealing with a person rather than a thing or just some entity, some force, but who is otherwise glorious and brilliant, relatively instinctive atop a platform of some sort of uh, thing that is indeed distinctly recognizable. Such visions include, for example, that of Ezekiel and Amos, uh, standing within the wall and on a tin. Never do humans actually see God fully in his essence, but only something of a shape that God allows to be recognized as that of an actual, uh, extremely huge person, thus allowing some sort of focus on himself, something for the humans to look at and talk to. All right, that's what we have. All right? um, and then let's just wrap up. This is the last little chunk of our, our chapter here. It says this, when Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it. We've seen this cloud, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God manifested in this cloud, and the glory of Yahweh settled on Mount Sinai, and for six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, Yahweh called to Moses from within the cloud. And to the Israelites, the glory of Yahweh looked like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. And then Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain. And he stayed in the mountain for 40 days and for 40 nights. That is our passage for this evening. And so, again, I, I read through that multiple times this week. I was just like, 
Right? Everything's about Jesus. I know that. How do we get there? All right, I could go 40 days and 40 nights, right, talking about how Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, but that's like the last sentence in the passage. So what are we going to do with the rest of this stuff? And so I had to really pour over this and, and look on this and, and really come up with, how does this tell me more about Jesus? And so tonight, there is gospel. There is going to be application. What does it actually mean for me? But at the same time, I hope that, that there are the same kind of aha moments for you tonight as I had this week as I was studying this passage, okay? So I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning in the garden in Genesis, how humanity was created. And this is Genesis chapter 3. This is actually right after the fall. Well, we get a glimpse of what it was like right before God tells, kicks, them, kicks, kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. It says this, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Right? And I can only imagine what that would have been like to just be with my wife walking in a garden and then clearly represented it in another physical form. But at this point, well, at this point they've sinned, but previously they would have been sinless and they could, they could see the Father. They could talk with him. They could walk with him. And how amazing would that have been? But they wanted to be like God. They wanted to worship themselves and the creation rather than their creator. But this is what it was like. And what I want to point out here is what happens in the garden is God dwells with his people. He's on the earth with his people, walking with them, talking with them. Right? That's what it should have been like. But the fall happens. Right? And when the fall happens, then we get these distinctions that are made that I just mentioned, and that as, as we read from the passage, that we have Moses, and then we have these other individuals that can't come up, right? And these distinctions happen because of a result of sin. Just a, some image here that I found of this mountain, and, and it made me uh, uh, look up, just kind of do some research on which mountain, right? Do we know which mountain it is? And the answer is no, right? We, we don't know which mountain is Mount Sinai. We have a general idea of the region of where it was. Um, and I think that there is... Something to be said of God's divine sovereignty and wisdom in not letting us feeble human beings actually know which mountain God rested on, right? To actually know, uh, man, is, is the ark on this man? If we could just see the ark rested on Mount Ararat, man, how cool would this be, right? If we, if we just had a piece of the cross of Jesus Christ, we'd, we'd worship it, right? And, it, and, and it, we, we would do what, what they did in Jurassic Park, right? Jeff Goldblum, right? You, right? The first thing you, you did is you, you patented it and you packaged it and you slapped it in a lunchbox and now you want to sell it. Now you want to sell it because that's what we would do if we actually had something like that. So I think, so thank you, God, for not allowing us to know exactly where these things are. And I think that's really interesting. Now, What's he say here? And I read it, but I want to read it again. When Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of Yahweh settled on the mountain. Right? It's the same word that to, to dwell among. Right? He, 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 he physically comes and he dwells on this mountain. Okay? So what are these distinctions? So again, we have, we have God and we've got Moses. He's the one who's allowed to, to come into that space with God and, where, and to, can see where God has settled. Not like what it used to be in the garden where Adam and Eve could go in there no problem and talk with God. Now it's only a select individual. And then beyond that, you have the elders, right, who they could come up on the mountain, but no further. Don't come any further. And then even further distinction, you have all of the Israelites. 
And I looked at this a few weeks ago, and I want to re-explore it, but this is going to travel into what, how we view the tabernacle. Pastor Steve is going to be here next week to preach on the tabernacle. What was it? What did it look like? So I'm going to do my best not to talk too much about it. But the same distinctions are made here. All right? So, so if we lived uh, during this time as a, as a Gentile or as a foreigner passing through the land, we wouldn't be able to worship in the tabernacle. So there's that larger outer perimeter there, right? And then you have the inner court. Within the inner court, the only people who could go in there were Jews. Only people could go in there were Jews. That's it, period, right? We, I, I could not, if you're of Jewish descent, then, then yes, you could, but, but I would not be able to go in there. And then, but there, men and women could go, but then you have the inner court, right? The holy place, and in there, only Jewish priests, male priests could go in there. And then there's this huge curtain, this veil that separates the Ark of the Covenant. And then in there, only the high priest could go, right? Only the high priest could go to that space. And so, so we see this. The cloud covers the tent. Same thing, the Shekinah glory, right? It's just a, that's like a Hebrew word of just the representation of God in, a, in cloud and, and dwelling with his people. All right, tabernacle, uh, the word literally means to dwell with. So when they build this tabernacle, they build this dwelling space where God, God goes. Okay, so this cloud covers the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's actually like, spoiler alert, that's how Exodus ends, okay? So we're, we're going to come there again, and we'll talk about that at the end. All right, so here we have the same thing, the, distinction, the distinctions. We have God, the high priest that could go into that space. Then you've got the priest, and then you've got, oh, I messed this up, sorry. You've got all Israelites, this was supposed to be fancy, and I added Gentiles at the end, and it, and it messed it all up. Uh, okay, so you've got all Israelites, but then you've got the Gentiles on the outside, all right? You, you couldn't enter that space simply based on your ethnicity, simply based on what you looked like. You could not enter that space. Now, we're gonna, I think we're going to look at this, and especially in Deuteronomy, we're going to see that, and we've talked about in Isaiah, that, that Israelites are supposed to be a, a blessing to all nations, right? to be a light to the Gentiles, that you could convert to Judaism, but you had to be physically circumcised. All You and all the males that were with you and your family, you had to conform to their law. You'd do these things to be part of their camp. There's these distinctions that are made. And then we're going to see the same thing uh, the distinctions of the temples. So briefly, this is uh, what, what was uh, artist rendition of, of Solomon's temple. And so uh, beautiful, everything is just covered in gold. And what's really cool when you see these, these spaces, right? They were these sacred spaces, right? That, that, that God gave them clear commands. I want it to look this particular way because that's where I dwell. That's what it looks like, right? Everything is perfect and beautiful. The, the pavement I walk on is this sapphire blue clear pavement, right? It's just, it's how things are. Everything is laden in gold and shiny and pretty, right? And that's, so he's the same thing, same distinctions being made. You have the outer court, you've got that inner holy place, and then behind kind of now these big gold metal door curtains is going to be the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant would have been, and then Herod's temple, the second temple, which is, this would have been the temple that Jesus would have, would have uh, worshipped at. Again, if you were a Gentile, you could go up those stairs there, but you could not enter into that. That outer kind of area was called the, the Court of Women, all right? So if you were a Jewish man or a woman, you could go into there, but you couldn't go in any further. 
Only Jewish men could, and then only Jewish priests could, and then only the high priest. And so we had the same exact um, differentiation, these three levels, if you will, of what happens in these temples. Okay. God's presence, though, his Shekinah glory isn't going to stay in these tabernacles and in these temples forever. All right, his presence is going to leave. All right, how does it leave? 1 Samuel chapter 4. The daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas. Phineas is the grandson of Aaron. All right, so he's the, the line of the high priest. So the daughter-in-law, uh, the, so the, the wife of Phineas, okay, uh, was pregnant. And near the time of delivery, when she heard the news, the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead. All right, let's pause there for a second. What's going on? Israel decided to kind of do what we just talked about with if we know something's been created by God and it's made of God or God's touched it, what do we do with it? Well, they use it as some kind of instrument, like this, this instrument of war. And we're going to take it with us and we go fight the Canaanites, right? And God just, we're going to use this as a magic luck charm and it doesn't go well, right? Uh, maybe it's the Philistines, I apologize. Philistines, I believe. Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. It's theirs now. They now own this thing that represents where God dwells with his people. And she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains, and she was dying. And the women attending to her said, Don't despair. You have given birth to a son, but she did not respond or pay any attention. And she named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Because the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband, she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Right? It's just really dark, dark moment in Israel's history. Eventually, under King David, they're going to get the ark back, but it's not going to be for a while. All right, so this, but the, and the glory doesn't come back. The, the cloud, the Shekinah glory doesn't ever come back with it. All right, so God's presence leaves. Then we see God dwelling among his people 2.0, right? All right, this is what he did in the garden, but now something else is going to happen, right? So we have the, this prediction of what's going to happen, of God dwelling with his people. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to his son, and we will call him Emmanuel. Matthew 1. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet Isaiah, which we just read, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And Matthew gives us a little commentary here, which means God with us. He's, he's dwelling with us. Again, he's here. He's with us. He's with his people. Thomas, doubting Thomas, always doubting, says this, Lord, we don't know, what you're going, uh, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him. You have seen him. God is dwelling with his people. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. Like, let me just see him. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, three years? <laughs> Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. 
John 1, going back to the beginning, right? The Word, Jesus, becomes flesh and tabernacled among us. That's the Word. Made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory, the Shekinah glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. All right, we're going to come back to that, kind of ending that story with that, but I want to go back to the passage of confirming this Mosaic covenant, all right? This is the the covenant that was made with Moses under the law. How is this confirmed, right? Moses gets up early in the morning, already talked about this, how they they go out and they do these sacrifices, offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls and fellowship offerings to Yahweh. It says this, Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half and splashed it against the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything that Yahweh has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood, right? He takes this blood of the bowl and he sprinkles it on the people. And he says, this is the blood of the covenant that Yahweh has made with you in accordance with all these words, right? And I, I found this image of Moses splashing the blood on, on these people, right? And the guy up front's like, nice, Jim, way to pick the front row on the day you wanted to get noticed by Moses throwing blood on us, right? No thanks. Thank God I'm in the New Testament. I'm not a fan of blood. I just faint every time I need to like get into a covenant. No, no thanks. All right, predicting a new covenant. What happens, right? Because what's going to happen in the Old Testament is, is the, the readers and, and, and those that are inspired by God are going to say there's something else. That God, you, you commanded us to sacrifice these bulls and these goats and the shedding of their blood. There is no sin, but there's got to be something better. Isaiah 52. See, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up, highly exalted, just as there were many were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Listen to this language here. He will sprinkle many nations. He's not just going to sprinkle the ethne of Israel. He's going to sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. What they have not heard, they will understand. He's a light to the Gentiles. He's a light to all people. And then Jeremiah 31 says this, The days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah, with my true people, the people who believe in me, the people who put their their trust and faith in my covenant and live by that covenant. But it's not going to be this old covenant. It's not going to be this law of Moses. It's going to be new. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. But I was a husband to them, declares Yahweh. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares Yahweh. I will put my law on their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And then we get to the fun part of the establishing of the new covenant. So now fast forwarding back, back to Jesus, right? He's being born to fulfill the prophecies. What does he say, right? Just listen to the language. And I hope all the Old testament passages that we got through, I hope that when you read this now again, it goes, whoa, this is big. This is important. It's not just Jesus just talking to be cool, 
He's, he's doing something. And while they were eating, right, this is the, the Passover meal that they're celebrating, right, the night Jesus is going to die the next day. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. And then this is the words that he says, This is my blood of the covenant. Okay? Going back, Moses says, This is the blood of the covenant, and sprinkles it over the Israelites. He says, This is not a blood of a bull, of a lamb, of a goat. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for whom? For many. For what? For the actual forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's, there's going to be a party when Jesus comes back. All right, he's going to throw a feast, and he's going to hold up a glass of wine. He says, man, I, I haven't had one of these in a long time. All right? We're going to celebrate with him communion, what he did with us and for us. Hebrews kind of gives some, some commentary on what Jesus did. And I love what author of Hebrews says here in chapter 9. He says, when everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room and carry out on their ministry. Okay, he's talking about sacrifices in that tabernacle or temple that I just talked about. But only when the high priest entered the inner room, right? Only the high priest entered that inner room, the Holy of Holies, and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself for sins that the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this, okay, by what happened there, that the way to the most holy place, the holy of holies, had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. All right, so he's saying all this stuff that we're reading in the Old Testament, the, the tabernacle and everything in it, it's an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order, of the new covenant under Jesus' blood. But when Christ comes as high priest, right? Who, who is the high priest? It's Jesus. And he goes into the Holy of Holies and he presents himself to Yahweh, the high priest of the good things that are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonial unclean, them, so they are outwardly clean. Ceremonial. All right, I'm not going to get any blood sprinkled on you tonight, okay? Don't worry about that. Jesus does this. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who we get to, we get to represent that by the juice tonight that we're going to drink, through, uh, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. 
right, that I am not bound by this law. I'm set free in Christ because of what he's done. He is my high priest, and I can go directly to him. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from their sins committed under the first covenant. So all those people, all the people in the Old Testament that would have been true Israel, not just ethnic Israel, but those Israelites that would have put their faith in the covenant of God, that would have followed through with these commands, right, and said, I, I believe that this Yahweh is who he says he is. Saying all their sins were just passed over until Christ. And then they're actually paid for. They're actually redeemed. And now... It's because of Christ that everyone has direct access to God. There's no longer distinction, slave and free, male and female. We all get to go. We can all directly enter into the presence of God. And this passage here, I could spend multiple sermons talking about what I'm going to try to do in about five, six minutes here. I want to read this in Matthew chapter 27. Jesus is giving up his spirit on the cross, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Verse 51. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's not just displaying the power of God, right? From everything I was able to read and, and, and get into a lot of the, the Talmud and the Mishnah, these extra biblical writings that the uh, Pharisees would have had, they would have lived by, but they would have said that this, was, this curtain was as thick as a man's palm, so a good four to five inches thick that this would have been. It took, uh, I don't know how much it weighed, but they said it took 300 men just to be able to move it and open it, right? It was so thick because they didn't want someone to accidentally, <laughs> excuse me, they didn't want somebody to accidentally <laughs> fall into the Holy of Holies, right? It was a sacred thing. It was this huge, super thick curtain. And at the moment, the, the, that moment when Jesus gives up his spirit, the curtain of the temple was torn uh, into from top to bottom. Uh, I should probably just have Pastor Tim come up here and teach this, but I'm not going to. He lifts up his head like, oh, oh, oh yeah, I know where he's going. All right. Uh, if you remember a couple weeks ago, he was up and he was talking about this whole idea of, of why we do uh, songs that when we sing uh, for our, our um, I always use old school words, our offertory, um, okay, uh, when the offering's being taken, all right, when they, when they play songs that aren't necessarily Christian. Right? And so we have this in our mindset, this idea of sacred and secular. All right? and, and in the Old Testament, that was true. Right? We, we just talked about that. Everything about the tabernacle, everything about the temples was supposed to demonstrate and show this is sacred. Everything in it is, is set apart and holy to God. And then there's things outside that are unclean. Right? But at this moment, something changes. That veil that separated the holy of holies is ripped in half. And now the glory of God, his presence is in the spirit, and it goes throughout all the world, not just contained. And so now there, is this, there isn't this idea of sacred and secular. And Tim has helped me so much in my understanding of this. Uh, we still have, you still have openings in your Old Testament class? Or is that your, your, your clothes? Oh, yeah, okay. All right. Uh, starting sometime later this month, could be Old Testament, New Testament classes. Uh, Brittany Jackson, she took them, uh, systematic as well. Uh, Tim's class is much more exciting than systematic, but uh, really helped me understand this whole idea of sacred and secular and what happens right in between when this veil is torn. 
right? And he shared it. I think it's Acts 17. I could be wrong, but, but Paul is preaching, and he actually uses their, their philosophers, right, to, to share some truth about God, right? How is this possible? This is how, right? And there are old hymns. There's hymn books in front of you, and I'm sure you could open it up, and I could very quickly show you heresy within those hymn books, right? And at the same time, we can take a song that I, I, knew, I knew that song tonight. Like, I Right? I could have sung it. Not, I would never. I could not sing it like Colin, Colin sang it, right? Right. But I know this song, and I don't. I just don't think about art that way, right? And it's been a process for me to look and challenge myself. That what is this truth that this individual is trying to teach me about God? And in this moment here, Jesus says, "It's not that mountaintop. It's not this mountaintop." It's not that sanctuary, it's not that temple, it's not this church, it's not that style of music. It's Jesus. And everything is good. And all we need to do is ascribe back to God the glory that is due his name that we see. Again, Hebrews gives us some commentary on this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Okay, we've got to remember that. And I hope that this little mini history lesson tonight, looking at what was it like of God dwelling with his people in the garden and then all of a sudden dwelling with them, tabernacling among them uh, in the tabernacle and on this mountain and in the temples and then finally in Christ, we now get to go into that most holy place, the place that people shuddered to even consider walking into because it would have killed them. We have confidence to enter to that most holy place. Where is that most holy place? It's where Jesus is. It's everywhere. Because <laughs> he's spirit. When I mean, Jesus isn't, Jesus has a body. Sorry, heresy. Heresy. We get to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, not by a lamb. And by a new living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, right? Not under fear or obligation that I need to obey this law, but as a sincere heart filled with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts, what's the word here? Sprinkled. It's the same language. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not by giving up on the meeting together. Good job. You, you checked the box on that one today. You, you didn't do that, as some are in the habit of doing. <laughs> but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. What day? Right? God tabernacling with his people. He's dwelling with his people 3.0, right? This is how it ends. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Jesus in this vision gives his vision to John, and so John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any more sea. There was no longer any more wickedness and deceit and sin. I saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, all right? It's not going to be I die and I get to get out of here. God comes to dwell with his people. He comes down from heaven. 
prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, listen how many times this language that we see in the Old Testament and in the New is repeated here. Look, God's dwelling, his dwelling place is now among the people. God physically, like I could like see him, is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people, Jeremiah 31. And God himself will, again, be with them. And he will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Where do we go with application? I'm just going to wrap this up. I, I hope that, I mean, I read a lot of scripture tonight. And I hope that maybe you could connect some dots. But as you go from here saying, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm in the presence of God. I get, to, I get to do this again. I hope that maybe just that aha moment was, do you know you have direct access to God through Jesus Christ? I, don't, I think sometimes we forget that. And I think that we think the only way that I can learn these things about the Bible is I got to go to church, right? Before this week, I didn't know this stuff. You, you just got to read it. You just got to study and, and get in God's word. You have access to him. And you can bow your head and you can pray and you can enter into that most holy place, into the presence of God the Father, and say, Daddy. We have access there because of what Christ has done, because he tore that veil in two. And finally, a couple, couple other things. Are you being treated differently? Right? I think we, we looked at that and, and, and fill in your own gaps here. Are being excluded? Right? Saying, yes, based on the way I look, based on something about me, I'm being excluded. It's not true at the cross of Jesus. All people are welcome. There's no distinctions anymore. It's just those people who put their faith in Christ. And then finally, are you excluding anyone? Right? And, and again, fill, fill in the holes here. What could that be? Based on gender, based on race, based on religion, based on political positions, whatever it may be. Do you just immediately say, I can't even, I can't, I can't even do that? Right? Because I'm pretty sure if Jesus were here, right, he'd say, oh, no, I, I actually had dinner with the prostitutes. I, I had supper with the religious fanatics and Pharisees. Right? I'm here for you. And how, how should we as human beings respond if we know this, that if Jesus isn't excluding anyone, that anyone can go into his presence, why should we exclude other people as well? Will you bow your head with me as we close? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that, again, we have this body of believers that we get to enter in here as all different ethne, maybe not even having English as our first language or anything like that, male and female. And God, you say all are welcome. And all you need to do is bow the knee to me. Worship me, love me, not out of fear, not out of obligation, but because I love you. So God, I pray now that as we leave here, that we wouldn't be so quick to point the finger at other people and say they're just different, they're not like us, and remember that we were that way, that at one point we were enemies of you. And while we were still sinners, you died for us. 
And so, God, would we remember at anybody we come across, come across that we would remember and say that you died for them too, the same way that you died for me. And we have love and compassion and mercy in ways that others might not. So, God, I praise you. Thank you for all you do. It's Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to enter into a time of, of communion. And what's fun about tonight is reading those passages in Hebrews and, and looking at where we've been and, and what this represents, right? This is the, the juice that represents the sprinkled blood of Christ for you and for your sins. And so all we ask tonight is if you're a follower of Jesus, not necessarily a member of this church or any church for that matter, this could be your first time ever going to a church. If you say, that is the Jesus that I want to follow, that Jesus of the Bible that you just explained and taught, I'm in. We'd love for you to come and join with us. There is a gluten-free option here on the left side. Will you worship now in communion with me?